Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series in conversation with K2 Intelligence Finn, CEO Jeremy Kroll on GRC risks, strategies, in the future. This special five-part podcast series is sponsored by K2 Intelligence Finn. As president, CEO, and co-founder of K2 Intelligence Finn, Jeremy Kroll is responsible for charting the firm's growth strategy. With more than two decades of investigative and leadership experience, Kroll has led K2 Intelligence since its inception in 2009 through its growth into an internationally recognized firm with six offices across the United States and Europe, including its merger with the Financial Integrity Network in September 2019. Kroll serves as a trusted advisor and more complex problem solver to business owners, boards of directors, and C-suite executives, working with them to mitigate risk across the corporate and family office spheres. He advises clients on risk management as they pursue strategic investments, including cross-border acquisitions and multinational investments, and helps to navigate the changing physical and cybersecurity landscape in a way that embraces technological change while minimizing strategic risk. Over this podcast series, we will explore in episode one, GRC Explained, in episode two, GRC at Work, in episode three, GRC and Investment Community, in episode four, GRC at K2 Intelligence Fin, and in episode five, GRC Then and Now. It's a podcast series that I know you will not only enjoy, but get a lot out of. This special five-part podcast series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for episode three in our five-part exploration of GRC with Jeremy Kroll, founder and president of K2 Intelligence. Finn, Jeremy, first of all, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Great to be back. Jeremy, uh, we're going to take up a topic today that I'm particularly interested in. I'm particularly interested in the topic, but I'm even more interested in the topic uh, in the age of coronavirus. Uh, We're recording this in mid-August 2020. That topic is GRC and the investment community. So I wanted to maybe start with what are some of the biggest takeaways when it comes to the investment community from and GRC that you see? That's a great question, Tom. Um, I, I think that normally when it comes to compliance uh, and, and regulatory risk management over over the past four or five decades, it's been uh, sleepy and slow um, unless and until you're in a company or in an industry that has had the shock of a lifetime. And whether that has come because of a um, some sort of ethics lapse uh, that's deep-seated and, and, and systemic to an industry, or there's been a tragic uh, health or safety threat, you really don't deal with, with the um, sort of what would happen in a God-forbid scenario, because you're pushing ahead. You're trying to grow your business, and you're trying to compete in a, in a really... Um, in a really increasingly a globalized economy. Uh, what we're seeing in the financial services sector, though, is remarkable. And the speed of innovation is not like nothing I've seen before. What I mean by that is uh, over the last roughly 30 years, 
anti-money laundering, in other words, AML, uh, was was um, something you might hear about because of narco traffickers, and that the, some of the big money center banks were in trouble because they were banking drug dealers. Well, after September 11th, everything changed. I think um, you had a whole new uh, wellspring of professionals enter the field. Uh, either they entered it because they wanted to serve in government and or they wanted to pivot in their careers and go from being an auditor, a lawyer, um, an in-house risk manager into this whole area of fighting terrorism through tracking, tracing, and reducing the threat of illicit finance. So it's only picked up steam, and in part because of the whole financial collapse and crisis in 2008. But beyond that, I think what's happened is that the regulatory and enforcement bodies, uh, both in the United States and Europe, have really committed to cracking down. Because if there is money laundering going on, it usually relates to something big. And whether that is a nation state threat, a terrorist threat, or some sort of systemic uh, white collar corruption going on. So what that means, Tom, is the amount of uh, regulatory technology, or it's called reg tech, or compliance technology, or comply tech. These areas have exploded and they've moved very quickly um, as categories for investment. That's in addition to the advisory and professional services arena. So you're seeing a, a very big focus. In particular, you know, the lightly regulated financial service businesses like um, private equity and venture capital, they're now themselves beginning to realize that they're going to be treated just like the big girls and boys in the banking sector, uh, insurance companies as well. So if you can't spell AML or KYC, you're DOI. Jeremy, I posit that more effective compliance equates to more efficient business processes, which equals greater ROI or greater profitability for corporations at the end of the day. But after doing these podcast series with you, I'm beginning to see GRC as broader than uh, what I posited of the benefits of effective compliance. And what I'm be beginning to understand in listening to you is not only the positive effects of GRC, but how investors might see a robust GRC program as critical uh, to moving forward. I say all that by way of introduction because I want to set up this question in terms of where we are now. As I said, recording this in mid-August mm -hmm. 2020, um, it seems to me that mm -hmm. now investors, as we move to kind of out of the investment doldrums and, and uh M&A doldrums that we were in the first half of the year, investors are looking for companies to invest in with robust GRC platforms because they see that as a positive driver of profitability. Would you find that to be a fair assessment? Absolutely. And, and I think just the, the whole um, environment that we're in, as, as much as um, this is a business-focused, uh, professionally-focused conversation around the GRC field, you know, you started this morning at home, you're ending this morning uh, at home, you know, you're working at home all day, 
you are no longer, you know, in an environment where there's a wall or a cubicle or a barrier between your home and your office. And I think while there's many sectors that have been moving more and more to a remote environment, uh, nobody has really even been able to be prepared for what we're dealing with now. And, and particularly, you know, industries where they felt you need to come into the office nine to five every day. Uh, and, and I'm talking more about in the professional services world, the knowledge economy, intellectually oriented um, businesses, uh, not that, you know, working in manufacturing and industrial and, and certainly in sectors where you have to go to site aren't intellectually challenging. Um, it, these are businesses when we talk about, um, for example, uh, what, what organizations like the financial services sector is dealing with is they're now waking up to realize that they're in a climate where COVID-19 has dominated uh, the economy, has dominated society, and has dominated one's personal life in terms of decisions one has to make. The whole notion that looking at different states or countries that are either governed well or not, they're either accepting or acknowledging the risk or they're not. They're either complying with the best practices and procedures that are being recommended or not. The ultimate goal was to flatten the curve, right? We've all heard that. And so I look at this environment as being completely uh, dominating to our mindset. And so investors, it's interesting. Um, they couldn't spell GRC last year. Now they can why? Because they're living day to day with an acceptance that risk is everywhere. And they're thinking, well, so what's the opportunity? Or at least the, the best ones are. And in fact, the best ones really have been looking at this area for, for quite some time. So for those of us in, in the GRC industry, we're seeing a lot of inbound requests to invest in our companies. We're seeing a lot of interest in um, opportunities to partner with technology companies, or we're seeing the opportunity to partner with education businesses. So I think it's a unique period of time. It's not going to go away because, you know, the effects of COVID-19 and the pandemic are still um, really hard to predict. It's not a question of whether it's going to impact us all. It's, it's going to be a question of how deeply it's going to impact us. Jeremy, what have you seen in terms of the investment community addressing some of the challenges that you just articulated? Investors are worried about fraud. They're worried about cyber attacks. They're worried about their workforce that's increasingly working remotely and what they might be revealing, uh, intellectual property or corporate secrets um, or customer data. So they're worried about privacy breaches. These are just a few examples of what investment firms are particularly concerned with, whether it's their own employee base or, or their portfolio investments. If I could turn now to the coronavirus health crisis and COVID-19 and, of course, the economic dislocation around this time, how has that impacted the GRC and the investment community from your perspective? 
And again, our, our focus is, is primarily around regulated industries, uh, for example, the financial services sector. And I think the investment community is recognizing that um, two things. One, it's easier uh, than people expected to work remotely. And so the workforce is distributed um, and that it is possible to run a department remotely or it is possible to perform your work remotely and not actually show up in the office. Uh, but they're also recognizing that companies are going to uh, shrink their real estate footprint. They're going to look to reduce their expenses anywhere and everywhere they can. So whereas we've been working for money center banks, uh, payment companies, fintech clients, in the area of AML, uh, sanctions, uh, and fraud risk management, we are seeing an increasing amount of requests to outsource some or all those functions to us. Uh, that also includes, Tom, training, education, certification, and testing. And so we're, we're seeing an increasing amount of work from our clients that deal with the fact that they need to comply and they need to manage their regulatory risk, but to be able to do it as good or better for um, really less expensively and leverage best-in-class technology, they're increasingly turning towards third parties to, to take that on. Um, and central to the success of that is quality and being able to have the training uh, the testing and the certification only makes the outsourcing process more credible and robust as you move upstream to the regulatory bodies, the stakeholders that our clients are you know, really needing to work with every day and partner with. Let me pick up on one of the points you raised around working from home. I think everyone recognizes that there's a cybersecurity issue and many companies uh, moved quickly to, to deal with that and are still dealing with that. But it strikes me that COVID-19 has also put cyber pressure on other areas. And, and the one that I think about the most is cybersecurity, excuse me, is your supply chain because of the disruptions in supply chain. And you may now have to move to a different type of supply chain. Are the Does the GRC framework allow for, which may focus on a cybersecurity risk in one area, such as working from home, allow expansion to taking a look at that cybersecurity risk and mitigating that risk in other areas such as supply chain? I think it's, it's a great question, and, and there, are, there are sort of two categories of um, companies out there. Uh, one, and I, and I can't claim credit for this quote, but you know, those that um, have been breached and those that have been breached but don't know it yet. And I think when it comes to supply chain-centric businesses, who have distributed um, over the over many different borders, uh, enterprise risk management and operationalizing um, the, the risk part of GRC is it's it's table stakes. Um, there are some examples of terrible situations where uh, a ransomware attack, for example, um, or some sort of spear phishing attack has crippled a industrial or transportation company that has, you know, among the best supply chain expertise uh, of any industry. And so that, that's an example where from a cyber threat perspective, 
you can have a distributed supply chain. You can have um, Six Sigma expertise. You can have resiliency. Um, but you can also have morons in your company who are just going to click the wrong link, open an attachment they should have, should not have, you know, look at the, uh, the photos from last night's holiday party, you know, uh, and they pop it open. And the next thing they know it, they're, they've infected the whole company. So there, there's, there, there's that sort of level of threat that, you know, any percentage of the population in your company is doing something dumb. So we think that the best investment that a, a business can make is, is training, testing, ret- retraining, retesting um, around cyber security threats. Uh, something that we do as an organization is we actually reward people for good behavior. And we have something called the fish master of the month. And that's fish spelled with uh, a PH. And so we, we reward people in our organization for um, basically reporting the most number of phishing attempts. Um, and so now we also warn people they have three strikes that if they fail our phishing attacks that we simulate, then they get increasingly in, you know, into bad. Well, I don't want to say that they get out of the batter's box, right? Uh, they go into the dugout or maybe up the tunnel. Um, so I think you have to also consider what's going to make people feel like the chief security officer of a company, even if they're not. You know, how can they be more of a guardian? How can they be more self-aware? Uh, because the you know, majority of the attacks occur because of human error. Um, so you have those businesses that are not really sensitive to supply chain vulnerability. They don't do uh, their third-party cyber due diligence. They don't uh, require training, testing, and certification. You know, they they just sort of, um, frankly, operate with their heads in the clouds. These tend to be non-supply chain-oriented type businesses, like not industrial companies per se or transportation companies, where we see some of the worst offenders are professional services organizations. They don't think about cyber risk because, you know, there are, it's just a different business model. And so it's not built into them that if the oil, you know, well is, is knocked out from a cyber attack, no more oil, no more business. If the, if the grid is knocked out, no more electricity. If a, um, a, a vessel is knocked off, you know, no more product in the professional services world, Believe it or not, lawyers are some of the worst offenders. Auditors, some of the worst offenders. Believe me, I believe it. Yeah. So, you know, th- this is a low bar to really seek improvement. And, and I think that if organizations are just more committed to training and awareness and not just punishing people for doing silly things, but, but actually incentivizing the right behavior, you might find that it, it helps and in the COVID-19 environment, investors are very, very focused on, on cyber attacks, cyber risks. Um, we just had a case recently where a client was holding an escrow of close to $10 million for their client. And um, the request came to wire the money. And our client said to the accountant of, of the ultimate client, are you sure and the wire request was going to an account in Hong Kong. And the 
client's account and said, we're sure. And the money left. Guess what happened? It was not the intended account in Hong Kong. And so 10 million bucks gonzo. And you have now a supply chain risk. And it's two human beings, an accountant and a lawyer who together have lost $10 million. The ultimate client doesn't care whether it was the accountant or the lawyer, they're going after both of them. And so I think a little bit of two-factor authentication would have helped, a little bit of a um, stronger um, system for uh, preventing wire fraud from occurring. But the reason why the bad guys knew that $10 million was available is because they were living inside of the inboxes of one or more of these professional service providers, and they were able to strike very effectively. Jeremy, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted uh, more information on any of the topics we've talked about or perhaps uh, K2 Intelligence. Finn, where could they go? Tom, thank you. Um, We can be found on the web at www.k2intelligence.com, www.finintegrity.com. We can also be found on LinkedIn at K2 Intelligence or on Twitter as well. Thank you very much for um, having me. This has been a pleasure. Well, Jeremy, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Likewise. Have a great day. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation with K2 Intelligence Finn, CEO Jeremy Kroll on GRC risks, strategies, and the future. I hope you will join us again for another episode. This special five-part podcast series is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again.